0: All right. It's good to see you and good morning. I know some people are still coming in. We're going to go ahead and grab a seat and jump in. It's good to see you. Congratulations for making it through marathon traffic today. For fighting through the Covenant Marathon It's funny, you know, I'm an avid marathoner. I love to run and I love to run races, but I can tell you as a marathoner, every single one of them wish they were you right now, right? Because running a marathon is a lot like washing or waxing your car or eating chicken wings or something. It's something that sounded good at the time, but later on, it wasn't such a good idea. So even if you're a good runner right now, they're hurting and they wish that they were you. So you win today. Congratulations. Um, Hey, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. A little bit of a left turn today. We're not really leaving our series, but we're doing something just a little bit different today. I've enjoyed this march through the book of John that we've been going through, and we have slowed the car down a little bit as we go through the crucifixion story, and we are going to look at it one more time before we move past it, but I'm gonna do it on a passage not in John, okay? So 2 Corinthians is gonna be the helpful passage for us today. This is gonna be the passage I really believe is gonna show us Jesus in a very, very clear way, maybe for the first time for some of you, okay? So this is the word of the Lord for us today. I'm gonna be in chapter eight, 2 Corinthians eight, and I'm only gonna read nine verses. This is God's word to you and me, and Paul says this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and this is the key statement for us today, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. It's a cool passage. I think it's a cool passage. Because we catch Paul in this unique moment where he's a little bit taken back and amazed, which I think is kind of a rare angle for Paul. He, I don't know about you, but when I read about Paul or think about Paul, he always comes across to me as the guy that's kind of seen everything, done everything, Right? I mean, I just think he's been around so many blocks so many different times that it was probably a rare occurrence to amaze him or wow him, but here we catch him a little bit amazed because he's watching this Macedonian church be a little bit crazy during the offering part of the Sunday morning service because they're stuffing so much cash into the offering box that it looks a little bit irresponsible. This is money that they can't afford. That's what he's watching right now, and here's the beautiful irony in this passage, he's not talking to a poor church. He's talking to a wealthy church. The church of Corinth, they're not pretty bad off. They're they're doing quite well. And in fact, this is a church that had already promised to give a large amount to the suffering church. That's, That's this offering that they're talking about, right? He had already promised, or they had already promised to give a large check, but they hadn't done it yet. And the Bible's not really clear on why they have not followed through with the gift yet. It might have been just because they haven't had the time. Maybe they just couldn't get the automatic deposit to take. You know how sometimes banks can be? <laughs> Maybe they just didn't. You know what I'm saying, how sometimes we just don't? I don't really know what it is. It's not really said openly, but he is sending his number two, Titus, to go and collect the check. And he could have used many ways to get this funds from that. He could have used shame and guilt. It would have worked. He could have commanded them to do it. I think. He could have done that and pulled that off well too, because he was Paul. But he uses the gospel to compel them to give. Now that's interesting, because the gospel's a story. It's a truth. It's a true story. It's the story of God's grace to you through the person of Jesus Christ for your benefit at his cost, grace to you totally despite you. It's this beautiful story that Paul takes and says, this should lead us in our giving. This should be our compass. It's actually the gospel that is how these Macedonians can vacate their bank accounts and not wipe the grin off of their face. How they can be so excited to give and crawl over each other and beg for the opportunity to give what they don't have. Only the gospel can do that because the Macedonians see that Jesus gave all that he could afford and then he gave more than he could afford and that leads them to give all that they can afford and even more than what they can afford. You know, statistically, only about 15% of this room is Macedonian in their giving. And listen, I am not talking about just money, by the way. All this morning, this whole sermon, don't think just money, right? I'm I'm also talking about time, because time is money, and I'm also talking about your soul's treasure, what you can give. We're talking about our time, talent, and treasure, which I'll kind of unpack here in a little bit. I think Relevant Magazine said it this way, and I don't know how relevant Relevant Magazine is all the time, right? But this is a recent article, so I will give it some credit. What they did, and I'm pretty sure this is about as complicated as the formula formula was that they used, they took how many people they suspect are true Christians in the United States, and then they probably took the average income per Christian. And they said, if every Christian gives generously, now they define generously by 10%, that, that is, is not, not a definition, definition I, I agree to. to. I'm, I'm only, only using it here because, because that's what, what they used, okay? That's a different sermon, right? right? But, but he, he, said he said if everybody gave 10%, 10% we, would we would have, have an extra, extra, an extra in America, 165 billion, billion per year, extra. extra. This is what that does within five years. It stops world hunger. It doesn't put a dent in it, it stops it. It stops all starvation. It actually cures every preventable death or disease that contributes to death it solves it it solves solves illiteracy within five years it solves the world's drinking water problems and it actually permanently funds all overseas missions this is all within five years and you have 110 billion dollars left over (laughs) that's insane listen I could, I could use, use $110, $110 billion. billion dollars. I mean, can you, Mason, Basically, could you use $100 billion right now on the, on the campus? campus? Could you use $1 billion? Sure. What, what, what about $1,000? <laughs> I'll take $1,000. $110 billion. That's what Macedonian giving looks like, according to Relevant Magazine. Now, pause. This is where shame starts to creep in, doesn't it? Right now, some of you are squirming. If you brought a guest today, you're really sad that you brought a guest today, because you think I'm going to talk about money all morning, right? And if you are a guest today, you're really sad that I'm talking about this today. But don't fear. I'm not coming after your money. If you think I'm coming after your calendar or your checking account, you're wrong. No special offering today. We're not taking up a special offering. Mama doesn't need new shoes. This church is not poor. I'm not trying to stir you up to volunteer for something. Our kids' community is okay. B-minus on volunteers. Our ops team is okay. Probably B-plus on volunteers. We're fine. We're gonna make it. In fact, chances are you're gonna need to keep your money today. In fact, here's a rarity for a pastor to say. Some of you will need to stop giving today. Stop writing checks and stop volunteering. Because what I'd like to look at is actually the context of your heart as you give, the what behind your giving and the why behind your giving. I'm much more interested in you having the heart of a Macedonian than the bank account of a Corinthian, okay? Because I just don't care about the digits, the leadership of this church, we don't care about the hours that you serve, near as much as we care about what exactly is ticking underneath the hood when you write those checks, when you sign up, and when you give your talents and gifts into another person. So I feel feel like like we're we're hitting our stride in the book of John. We've been in it for 40 plus weeks weeks at this point, right? right? And 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 I've enjoyed enjoyed it, it. but as we come into Passion Week, I've really, and really enjoyed it. And we're coming to the place today where I'd like to talk about a major implication of the cross and its effect on our various currencies. And I'm using plural here, various currencies, because I think we have more than one, right? Money is money, right? Money is money. That's like saying fat meat is greasy. It's a truth. Money is money. Ben, ben Franklin, Franklin told us in his, his favorite statement, statement, time is money, right? right? And, and I think those are both, both currencies. currencies. I think there's one that's even more precious. And I, and think, I think it's, it's our self expenditure, how we, how we spend, spend ourselves, ourselves, our talents, and, and our gifts. It's and when we, we find, we find ourselves, ourselves most vulnerable, our most, most exposed, exposed where we, we put ourselves out, ourselves out there. It's what I will call a soul currency. I think that is equally heavy for a lot of us. Maybe some of you agree. In fact, for me, I think social investment costs more than all the other currencies. This is why, if you are like me, it's much easier to just write a check to feed someone that is homeless and without food than it is to go to Trader Joe's, stock up, go home, make the meal, go and find someone that's homeless, sit down and eat that with them. Some of you are like me. You're like, well, how much can I just write a check for? Could that do the same thing? I'm not saying that I won't give myself. I'm just saying that price tag, a bit steeper for me. Some of you, it's easier to give money than it is time. Some of you, it's vice versa. Some of you, it's very difficult to give your soul away. Here's the thing. Taking up the cross is gonna ask for all three. It's gonna ask for all three currencies. There's no such thing as an obedient Christian life unless there's deep sacrificial Christian expenditures. This is why I'm not gonna have to work really super duper hard to connect the cross to our expenditures. I'm talking time, talent, and treasure. I'm not going to have to take some contorted, forced, scenic route to get from the cross to how we spend our currencies. They're within earshot of each other already. It's a huge implication. How we handle our currencies reflect how we see the cross of Jesus handling us. You know, the last two weeks, we've been in the story of the cross And Chris and Mark have done a very good job of showing us who we are in the cross. This is what nerds will call the indicative, okay? I actually used to use this word a lot in the church's earlier days. I'm kind of dusting it off for this morning. It's the indicative. The indicative is who we are, our vertical alignment and our vertical identity, and who we are in God and what he has done for us in Christ. It's our indicative. And then what I'd like to talk about today is not so much who we are, but what we do from the cross, that's what we call the imperative, what we do. Now, how, how you, you place, place you those two terms, terms, indicative who we are, imperative what we do. How you place those defines whether you were living a Christian life or just some weird, hokey religious life where you think it's Christian, but it's really not. You see, we'll put this up on the screen if we can, the, if the indicative, who you are, if it drives the imperative, what you do, then that means you do things because you already are. That's true Christianity. This is where your identity establishes your action. I get to do these things because of what God has done for me. But if you swap those, and it's a fatal swap, and it happens in an instant, and a lot of times we don't even see it. A lot of times we can live and die without even seeing this. If you happen to put the imperative in front of the indicative, and now the imperative drives the indicative, you have legalism. We don't do because we are. We do because we want to be. We are because we do and now our action establishes our identity. You see, Christianity is where we behave because God has perfectly behaved in us in the person of Jesus Christ. Hokey religion is where we behave so that God will like us more. I think it's important to go and talk and use these $10 words just for a moment because it gives us a mental handle. Paul, right here in this passage, is spelling out for us in these gigantic alphabet letters why we give. We are generous because God was generous with us, and now we are free from being stingy. We're free. We give because God gave, and now we are free from having to save ourselves. We sacrifice for others, impoverishing ourselves to enrich others, because one has impoverished himself to enrich us, and we have a giant treasure that we cannot lose. We have so much treasure, we have a king's best, so we are free to give, and we are free to stop hoarding. If you were to be in a museum or a picture exhibit of some kind and you had pictures of Jesus in various actions all across i think one of the heaviest pictures the weightiest pictures we could find is the one where Jesus impoverishes himself where he continually and progressively throws off royalty and picks up humanity and it's one of the weightiest things so that you and i can be enriched it's a fascinating exchange And I think one of the heaviest implications for the cross is that we take our own cross as we ourselves do and are led by that, and we impoverish ourselves to enrich others. That's how we give. Time, talent, and treasure. This is why it says in Luke 9.23, stay where you're at, but in Luke it says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. These are things we know, or at least are things we hear, right? But what does this have to do with our various currencies? Time, talent, and treasure. The what in what we give. The why behind what we give. And and if we're faithful in one of those currencies, can we just kind of blow off the other two or three or whatever? Can we do that? Can you be a big giver, a large giver, and still be a miserable giver at the same time? Right? How much is sacrifice, by the way? And how can we be joyful when we are giving sacrificially and not fake it? These are hard questions. I'd like to answer some of them, and I think Paul helps us, and I think the gospel carries it home for us. You see, again, I'm not coming after your money today. I'm actually gonna come after a whole lot more than that. A whole lot more. Just because you don't get the passages like this. Not like this. You don't get the passages like this and treat how we give as some odd topic that a church will brush off from time to time because we can't make budget or trying to build a new youth wing. You you don't get the passages like this, where you see an impoverishing king who is spending his everything and not look at how we're spending our something. You don't get the passages like this and see a Macedonian church dump truck everything and more than what we have and try not to connect that to our own lives as if their money was less valuable than ours, as if their poverty is not the same as our poverty or something like that. So yeah, I might talk about various currencies today, but make no mistake, I'm coming after you in the gospel and how you see the gospel handling you. The reason I'm doing this is because most of the giving that we have grown up hearing or groomed to hear is taught by the Bible and it might be biblically driven, but that does not necessarily mean that it is gospel driven or it is wrapped around what our king has done or has our hero in mind. In other words, what we have heard might be true from the Bible, but it's not motivated by the gospel. And I think we could run into a problem. I think we can run into a problem A lot of you have grown grown up hearing good biblical teachings about giving, giving, right? But but you you don't don't know how the gospel connects to it. And that's that's why why some of you will walk out of here today, and when you you think think about about this sermon, sermon, you will consider consider it in your mind and categorize it as the tithe talk. When I'm not even talking about only money, I'm definitely not talking about the tithe. It's the first time I've even said the word, and I don't even know that I believe in what you probably grew up with hearing the tithe was, right? So... I'd like to look and see how it is true, giving and giving well is true, just like we've always grown up hearing. But when we give, if it's not driven by Jesus and what He has done, then it finds itself to be driven by just obeying for the sake of sheer obedience sake. We just do it because it's the right thing to do. We obey because that's what it means to be obedient. I think my first time to wrestle with this as a young Christian was not in actually learning it, but was in teaching it. It's a crazy story. I probably I wasn't, I wasn't even a Christian, a Christian for six, six months, months, maybe, maybe nine. <laughs> you know? I, still, I think I might have had a Bible at this point, right? And the leadership of the current church I was in came to me and asked me to teach on the offering that Sunday morning in front of a large amount of people, right? They wanted me to give what they call the tithe talk. Which, which every, every Sunday, Sunday morning you gave the tithe talk. It was where somebody, somebody not, not the pastor, pastor came up and spoke for like two to three minutes on why, why everybody, everybody should give, give right? And, and we just, it's just kind of a rotation, rotation of people that did this and they, they wanted, wanted me to do it this next, next Sunday. Sunday. Here's, Here's the, the thing, thing. they, they wanted, wanted to make, make sure, sure that I was tithing. tithing. So, so instead of just, just checking check the, records, the records, which, which probably done, it probably should have done, they just asked me, Luke, we would love for you to do this, Oh, but by the way, you're giving, right? And I totally lied through my teeth. Yeah, I'm giving. What kind of person does it give, man? Sure I'm giving. I'm in the give club. I'm your man. So I got up and I spoke. I'm pretty sure this is what it sounded like, but I'm very glad there's not a recording. I'm sure the script went something like this. Hey, give 10%, because that's what it says somewhere in the Bible. I think in the old part, right? And after all, who can't afford 10%? Everybody Everybody can afford 10%. I mean, maybe you need to cut your cable, but do you love your cable more than Jesus? Right? And think about all the starving children out there. You should give. Oh, you should give because it's the right thing to do. That's why you should do it. Don't be a goofus. You need to give. Besides, we need new stuff around here. Now we're going to pass the plates. I'm pretty sure that's what it sounded like. That's what I've been groomed to hear. Even, even, if, even, if if even if I've had, had good, good teaching, teaching in front of me, that's, that's just what my gut understood giving, giving my, my time, my talent, talent and my treasure. treasure. That's how it's I understood America. to do it. You see, it's the American, American church, church is cash is starved. Cash that's, true. That's, that's true, we're, we're cash, cash starved. The American, American church's church is leadership is starved. starved. It's, it's volunteer starved. Ask any pastor, they'll tell you. So what happens is when petitions are put out there, whether it's taught well, or not taught very well at all, our hearts respond with a certain feeling. When our resources and currencies are being called upon, our our heart responds in a certain way. It might look a little bit like this. Some of you might feel guilt. Money is talked about in any way, shape, or form. You looked at what you've done in the past, and you immediately feel guilty. It's easy to play upon that, even on accident. If I were to say, hey, look at the Macedonian church. They were poor. They didn't have fast internet. At Chipotle, they always said no to the guacamole because it cost extra and they didn't have the extra money. They couldn't even afford a case for their smartphone. They just carried the phone around. They couldn't have a Netflix subscription because that was just way too much money. Besides, they didn't even have the time. There ain't no time for that. They didn't have time to even go to YouTube because they're too busy running from the authorities. So no bottle flipping for them, nothing viral they got to do because they were so busy investing in each other. All they had time to do was was run run from the police and and disciple each each other so they didn't have time for your nonsense. Don't don't you feel feel guilty guilty now? Don't don't you want want that guilt guilt to go away? Good, because we're about to pass pass the plates plates and some some volunteer volunteer forms, and we'd love for you to get Get rid rid of of that that guilt. guilt. See how easy that is? Super easy. What if it's not not guilt? guilt. Sometimes there's another feeling that comes up in us, and it's greed. Show me the money. Show me the money. Give a little bit. Get a, get a lot back, back right this is this the Christian, Christian version of it, it takes, takes money to make, money. make money do you, do you want, want more gifting it? good you're gonna have to give do you want more time in your schedule you need to volunteer do you want more money because the floodgates of heaven are just going to open up and you will be so rich if you give some money do you realize that it's right around the corner for you you're missing it you're missing it how easy it is to play on that don't you want more Good, because we're gonna pass the plates and some volunteer forms, and you today can arrive. What about, have you sinned lately? Here's a different one, not guilt or greed, but something that we all carry with us. Have you sinned lately? Because you can actually show God how serious you are right now. It's time to put up or shut up. You're always talking about how you wanna change. You know what you can really do? You could write a big check and show God how serious you are this time. Better yet, you could sign up for things because then it just shows that you're full of resolve. I mean it this time. I like super duper 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 mean it this time. I'm not messing up ever again. Here's proof. And I think we mean well when we do that because there is a sort of resolve, right? But I can't help but think we're just paying for our sins as if Jesus did not pay it all. We're going to add to what he paid So maybe those sins will extra go away. You see, in all of these ways, justifying ourselves, satisfying our guilt, satisfying our greed, in all of these ways, this investment of time, talent, and treasure, it's not going to serve God in worship. It will serve you in self-worship. It serves you. You're paying it, doing it, so the pain goes away. So the feeling changes. And this is not Christianity as self-worship. So yes, you can give 10%, you can give 50% and be a miserable giver. Be a miserable giver. Giving a bunch and giving absolutely nothing at the same time, right? Sometimes when I teach on this level, people will tell me, I don't think about it that much. I mean, you're going into the deep motivations of why we give. I just give because I give because I've always given. It's just the thing that I do. It's just the thing that I've been brought up to do. It's the right thing to do. But listen, no one takes up a cross because it's just the right thing to do. Nobody Nobody gives what they they can can afford and beyond beyond what they they can can afford afford, just because because that's that's what they they were brought up to do. do. You all have motivations if you're You're honest honest with them. Honestly look at why you do do what you you do. do. We We fail fail when we we give in a lot of ways, but we also also fail fail when we don't don't give. And there is one failed reason reason I'd like to pick a fight fight with, and that's the only one I'm gonna deal with, and it is the line, I don't have enough. I'd like to just play with that for a little bit if I can. can. When I was putting this together, I immediately, at .0001 seconds, immediately had an image flash in my mind. mind. And And it's it's the the image image I have whenever my kids have chocolate, chocolate. okay, so So listen, our kids don't eat chocolate chocolate all all the time. time. A few years ago, we had a pretty big nutritional shift shift in our household. They have tasted chocolate, don't feel sorry for them, but it's not like a solid part of their diet. So whenever my daughters especially, my son doesn't really care, but when my daughters get chocolate, they They hoard hoard it. it. Kind of like like Charlie Bucket Bucket and Willy Wonka Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Factory. You know how they 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 treat chocolate like it's some ration ration post-World War II thing. They They suck on a little bit of it and they put put it away for another time, like Christmas or something like that. That's how my kids are with chocolate. Like every single bar is the last one on earth. That's why it's fun for me to come along and do the typical dad thing. Try to get a little bit of a dad tax, right? Hey, so I'd like a Maybe the corner of that chocolate bar. You think you give your daddy a corner of that chocolate bar? And man, it is so fun to see the immediate shift in their eyes, you know? Because you can see the logic and the reasoning and the turmoil. They're thinking, wait a minute. I love you, my dad. I love this chocolate bar. And I love myself. How can we all win right now? I don't think it's possible. Someone has to die in this war. Because if I win, you don't get any chocolate. But if you win, I don't get as much chocolate. Someone has to go. I'm sorry, Dad. It's you, you know? That's the fight. And it's fun. I shouldn't mess with them like I do. But it's just fun to see the turmoil in one second. Now, here's the thing. More chocolate doesn't fix that. More chocolate doesn't fix it. Give them 10 chocolate bars. That's plenty of chocolate. Too much chocolate. But if I were to come and say, hey, listen, sweetheart, I'd love, like, two or three of those chocolate bars. I'm really jonesing for some chocolate. Could you give... But dad, I mean, they're having the same wrestling match. Isn't that interesting? You see, generosity is not founded on surplus. Generosity is founded on deficit. That's what generosity means. It's not founded on supply. It's founded on how much we give. We see a beautiful depiction of this in Luke. Luke. It's one of my favorite. It escapes us because we've heard it a billion times. But it says this in verse one. Stay where you're at. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. All she had to live on. Listen, this is a real story. Go ahead and tell me you don't have enough. Go ahead. Go ahead and tell, tell me you don't have enough time. enough time. I'm waiting. Tell, tell me you, me you me don't have enough, enough talents. talents. I, only have I only have one thing to give to the I only I have, have one, one skill. skill. Go ahead and tell I me you don't have any money. Because this, this is a real story. story. This, woman this woman really lived. Jesus really said, said this. this. We just we can't, can't really, really escape that. that. And I can't escape the feeling that when Jesus is mentioning her and speaking about her, he's not thinking of himself also giving all he had to live on and then even more. I think Jesus is a better poor widow than this. I think this is forecasting. right? You see, when we say in our hearts, I will give sacrificially, but that means I can't do this. Fill in the blank. Whether it's finances, time, or your soul. Right? I'm going to give, but if I give this much, then I can't do this. I think that's the beginning of generosity. The point where you have to say no to something. If you're not saying no to anything, you can pretend what you're doing is generous, but you're playing small ball. That's not generous at all. You're giving out a surplus giving out a surplus. So consider this, where biblical giving begins. It's where sacrifice is felt. That's where generosity starts. If we give only when there is surplus, and we call that generous, I do believe that's an anti-gospel way of giving. I will say that again so you can quote me on it. If we give only when there is a surplus, and we call that generous, I think we're mistaken. And I think that does not picture or image the gospel in any way. This is why the line, I don't have enough, for me, is just a very poor response. What it really says is, I'm waiting for surplus so that when I give, it doesn't hurt. That's translation. Luke, I will give when I have more. I will give when I'm not in debt. I will give when I'm out of school. I will give when I have a savings account equal to six months of living expenses like Dave Ramsey says. I will give when I have a better car. I will give time when I'm not so far behind. I will give time when I'm not working so many hours. I will give time and talent into people when I'm not so emotionally drained. I will give when I have more, that's when I will give. I think that's a lie, I think we all know it. And it's the opposite of what we see in the Macedonian giving. It's the opposite of what we see in this poor widow, and it is in direct opposition of what we see on the cross. It just is. Paul has a different formula for giving. This is poverty and affliction, according to the Macedonians. Poverty and affliction plus sacrificial, joyful giving equals thanksgiving to God. That's his math. So how do they do this with joy? That's why I'm talking about this today. And not another time. The cross led them. The cross. The point in the story where we're hitting in John. The cross led them to do this. And I'm going to explain. It It may help you. This crucifixion that we mentioned earlier, it is the apex, the heaviest weight of the picture of Jesus getting rid of and disrobing his glory and his royalty and his wealth for you and impoverishing himself. So that you who are spiritually impoverished may experience wealth in a magnitude you still can't understand. Consider he was on a throne. He has to leave the throne. Leave the throne room. Put the scepter down. Leave the company that he'd experienced since before time. Leave to a place where he can't hear the angelic chorus praising him anymore as he enters humanity, enters our frailty, enters our pain. And then he has to forfeit even more on top of that, his reputation, because his family life looked a bit dodgy Gives up his safety, forfeits his opportunity, gives up his rights, forfeits his freedoms, and then he gives up his life. Just continually impoverishing himself over and over. And whenever you see this continual impoverishing of God for you, that is not so you cannot be changed by it. It's not so that we cannot be touched by it but it's so that we can be led by it because it has implications, time implications, gifting implications, and yes, financial implications as well. This is why the Macedonian church begged to give. They saw this. They meditated on it. This is why they invested until it hurt and then beyond the pain because they were rich and they had royalty coursing through their veins. They had nothing to lose. Can't lose that treasure. And they were satisfied in that. This is also why it's not a good picture of the cross for you at any time to give under compulsion. To give of your time under compulsion, which the Bible says not to do, or your money or your giftings, to, be, to, be, to feel like I'm obligated, like I have to do this. It's a bad picture of the cross as well. If you never give a dime to the church, if you never give an hour to mission, to your community, to legacy, if you never do any of that, God will not love you less and he will not punish you more. Your status in his eyes does not change one centimeter. In the same breath, if you have no desire to lavishly give your everything in a jaw-dropping manner, I would hesitate or contend with whether or not you've ever wrestled with God's gospel. So let me say this again, because again, it is rare to hear a pastor say this. If you were driven by selfish endeavors when you give your time, talent, and treasure, I want you to reconsider giving. Just stop. And then ask why. And wrestle with that. Now, I understand if a believer gives, they're young, or they're maturing, and they just don't understand all the nuances of the Bible. Maybe they're not a scholar. I certainly wasn't. So maybe just giving because, well, I, I think that's just what I'm supposed to do. I get that. Sometimes our, our gospel, gospel comprehension, and our, our biblical, biblical literacy, it kind of catches up with us and we just, we're just obedient because we trust God and he told us to do something. I get that. But if it's been 15 or 20 years and you're just blindly signing up for things and blindly writing checks, would you just stop and consider? Consider what you're doing and why you're doing it. It's super important. Super important. I'd like to find just a little bit of application in this and then I'm out. I'd like to look at what it looks like when we give our time. And I'm gonna put three questions up on the screen so just so you can see them because these are helpful questions. If we have them, we might not have them. Number one is what does deficit look like when it, we're talking about time right here? What does, like? what, does like? what does deficit look like? What does it look like for you to not be able to afford something, right? What does it look like for me to sacrifice for those who don't even deserve it, right? And then why should I have joy when I'm giving this level of time? Why should I have joy? Because here's how our heart struggles. It struggles in a couple main ways, especially when it comes to individuals. I don't want to give my time to that person anymore. They're a waste of my time. They never do what I say. I bring wisdom and insight, but they just blow it off and they do whatever they want anyway. So I'm just done with them. I'm going to cut them off. You can, but that's not what Christ did for us. As we, waste, <laughs> as we waste his insight and his wisdom and his leadership. It doesn't handle us that way. If that person is a tough investment to you, welcome to Christianity. Welcome to cross-bearing. That's just what it feels like to disciple somebody. Now, I think the only time I'm okay with moving past somebody, and I am okay with that sometimes, If they are not growing, and they are not reciprocating, and they don't care, and you immediately pick up that time and dump it into somebody else. Because we are accountable for our time. That's just true. But if you're just cutting them off to save time for the sake of saving time, come on, that's goofy. That's goofy. I think another struggle our heart has is I don't want to do the community church thing all the time, maybe just like a third of the time. DNA, community group gathering, whatever it is, parties, me. I just don't want to do it. Maybe like half, a third. Man, we need to remember this, what we're talking about, shaving pieces of is what Jesus died for. Jesus died for this, friends. Look around, we're all connected. We are the church and Jesus died for this. I don't ever want with my life to say it's one third as valuable to me as it is to the person next to me. It's valuable to me. I mean, I immediately think of the book of Acts where day by day they met together. They weren't less busy than us. They weren't less busy. Luke, I gotta have my alone time though. I have to have my Walking Dead, Netflix, Facebook, leisure, solo time. I get that. I do too. But that's where I sacrifice as well. And it does hurt. And that's what makes it valuable. That's what makes it valuable. Another struggle we have I think is when it, when it comes, to comes to money, point, when we'll look at the same, same questions. questions. When, when it comes, comes to that part of our, our currency, currency, same, same questions, questions, what, what does giving what, what, what I, can, I afford can afford and more than, than I afford look, look like. like? And I'm not talking about just to a church, by the way. It could be a missionary, it could be a ministry, right? This is not, not me money grabbing. Again, we're not taking up an offering. And then number two, what does it look like for me to sacrifice for people who don't even deserve to benefit from my sacrifice? And then why should I have joy in this? Why should why there be joy? joy? A couple struggles here. The one our heart says a lot is, I don't know if I want to spend money in this way towards this direction because I don't like the way they spend it. I have opinions on how they handle my money, so I'm just not going to give, right? Which is interesting because Jesus gave to us knowing that we would actively misspend his fortune towards us. But I will say this. If a church or ministry or missionary you are giving to is living in such a way or operating in such a way that you just don't agree with it. friends, you need to find a new church, new ministry, or a new missionary. But giving is not an option in the light of the gospel. It's not an option, right? Here's another struggle. My measly contribution cannot matter. A, that's not the point. Yes, the lights need to stay on. Salaries gotta get paid. Stuff costs money. Mission costs a lot of money here, Right? But if I could just be frank, we're not gonna break or win on your budget's back. What I'm saying is, is your contribution won't tank us and it won't benefit us to where we live or we die. I mean, Jesus will take something very small and measly and then we'll multiply it, amen? Doesn't he do that? Fish, bread, money, people. He takes what is seemingly measly and he blows it up. I have faith in that. I have faith in that. Another struggle. I give a bunch of time and I serve and after all, time is money. So I'm just not going to give money at all. This is what we do a lot of times. We have a deeper price tag in one currency than others, so we will shift our investment to the easier ways of giving. For some of you, it's easier to give money than it is your talents and your times. So you will write big checks and you will push away from the table when it comes to investing in people or time. You'll do that. For some of you, you have no problem volunteering, but money's a little bit of a problem for you. So you push away from that table and then you give deeply in the other as if you get a buy, as if it all equals out, right? But all you're doing is you are misspending. You are stealing where you should be stewarding, right? What you're doing is you're saying it hurts more here so I don't do it. I'm gonna only hurt where it's comfortable to hurt. So we shift our investments, we're choosing. We're giving where comfort finds us. And then I will say this. When we give ourselves, our soul, our heart's investment, same questions. What does deficit look like? What does it look like for me to sacrifice for those who don't deserve the benefit? And why should I have joy? I think the struggle a lot of our hearts hear a lot of times is I don't want to be exposed or vulnerable or experience rejection by putting myself out there. Because I'm afraid that people will look at my skill or my talent or my gifting and they will say it's insufficient and it's not good enough. And I will tell you, Jesus understands this as much as he understands all of our struggles. He placed himself in the deepest exposure and vulnerability any person has ever been. You have a currency that God has given you. And you are free to spend that without the fear of rejection of other people. You're free to do that. It's interesting to me because we have a culture today, especially in this country, we have a culture of gift testing. Every church, every ministry, they've got an assessment, a test, this one in 90 seconds, this one you pay money for, a book you can read, a class you can take. Listen, there's no way anyone can ever be confused of how they're gifted, especially with people coming up and saying, hey, you're good at this, you're good at that. We know what we're, we know what we're gifted in, right? Figuring out what our gifts and talents are, that's not the problem. It's being afraid to spend those things. That's where the problem's at, right? Right? I will will tell tell you this, this, if you are not not failing failing, while giving your your gifts gifts into others, you're not giving deep enough. When you are putting yourself out there to the place place where you just don't swing 100% every time, time, that, that that is what what it feels feels like to to give give beyond what you can afford. And that's how gifts are sharpened too, by the way. In the midst of failure, in the midst of trying, in the midst of offering and not having everything go great. That's when the truly gifted develop their gifts. But this whole idea of I messed up once, I'm never doing it again. I was up on stage once, I didn't like the way I sounded, I'm never doing it again. I tried that administration thing once, forget it. Hospitality, I thought I liked it, but I tried it, never doing that again, never doing any kind of service again, never doing evangelism again, Never because we got rejected. You gotta give beyond what you can afford. That's the Macedonian way. Tell you what, go ahead and stand with me. I'm gonna finish this. Some of us in here, we struggle, we give a lot, we give a lot, and we misspend it because we're spending it towards ourselves. We give, but it's not really in a way of worship as much as it is for self-worship because we're trying to alleviate a greed or a guilt, and friends, that's just a place for repentance today. That's a place to turn. That's the place to consider Some of us, we don't give because we have other gods that are actually crying out for that currency. We don't give to anything that requires time because, man, we got this other thing that's really what we want to do. Or I don't give money because I have these things that really need that money. And I'll be honest, that's a place for repentance, too. We have a lot to repent for. Some of us, we've just been giving blindly just because that's the thing we're supposed to do, because that's the thing we've always done, because that's the thing we were always taught. And you're right. The Bible says give, and it says go hard, give big. But can I just ask why you're doing it? And can I say it's important to Jesus? I do know pastors and leaders that say I don't care why people give time, and I don't care why people give money as long as it comes in. That's garbage, man. It's not even our church. This is Jesus' church. I'd rather your hearts be in a better place as you give. Amen? Can I pray for you? Father, thank you for this great word to me. I'm convicted because I find myself to be more Corinthian than I do Macedonian. I am so aimed on protecting myself. I want to give, Father. I like the idea of giving. I'll just say it that way, Jesus. I like the idea of giving more than I like the pain that comes as the hangover. Just the the, the deficit of the wanting to do other things that now I can't do because I've given. But Lord, But Lord, that I would be satisfied in you to where I don't even hunger those things, that my affections would be stirred up for you, where I would beg, I would beg to outgive the wealthy, not because of the amount, but because of the generosity. Lord, I want this to be a generous church to the city, to each other, to you. I want this to be a generous church, but not out of compulsion, not out of guilt, not out of greed, Not out of a sense of justifying who we are in you. I want the indicative to be there. Lord, that we give in a jaw dropping manner where the world cannot understand our level of sacrifice and generosity. But we don't do it so we get a gold star from you. We do it because you have given us your best. You've pulled us into a family we don't even deserve to be in. And you have loved us even when we've pushed you away. You are so kind. So as we worship you today, as we sing songs, as we take communion with our families and our, and our different friends and groups, as we write checks, as we give time, as we tear down, as we glad hand and talk and find out how everyone's weak, as we go through all of that, Father, Lord, that we would keep you impoverishing yourself and making us wealthy in mind, that we would have no problem, yet a total freedom to impoverish ourselves to enrich those around us. You're so good. We love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I was going to do this.